You're listening to episode 328 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, joined as always by my co-host Wayne as we near the end of our examination of BBC's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And actually, that wasn't accurate, joined as always, because we're back to doing the cell phone thing. Skype wasn't working on your end. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's so glad we figured this out uh, a while back that when Skype acts up, it's not a big deal to just, you know, now I keep my earbuds in the studio, so I don't have to go looking around the house to find a pair of earbuds. So, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's just it's weird man like you know like usually skype is pretty reliable but tonight it's just like it's just like nope no i'm just refusing to work at all yeah and and a lot of times it turns out to be an update that you didn't know you needed yeah i'm sure that's what it is and of course i like you i depend on michael to help me keep up to date on a lot of that stuff but uh anyway um Wayne and I want to thank all our patrons, and if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, you can go to the website, scifitvrewatch.podbean.com, and there's a link on the right, or you can just go to patreon.com slash scifitvrewatch if you are interested in becoming a patron. All right, so dude, we've actually got some news this week because Uh-oh. we find well, yeah, we finally decided what it is we're going to tackle. Oh yeah, after Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, which is only one episode away, and the one the one thing I was telling you because I went back and looked at the poll, and The Magician season two got a lot of votes, but I, I'm just. Ma- magicked out after four seasons of the librarians and and i loved all four seasons and jonathan strange and mr norrell i've enjoyed it i can't say i liked it as much as the librarians and we did season one of the magicians so i'm kind of looking to get into something other than magic and you and i have been talking about it for a while you still haven't seen the first episode i've seen season one and season two up to this point and that is the youtube series impulse so everybody has access which is the beauty of youtube and the fact that they make their series the few that they have available to everybody so uh make sure you can find impulse we're gonna do them one episode a week as we always do i I, actually i thought about saying we're going to do three episodes at a time and feedback's going to be limited to two minutes but i didn't want fred to have a heart attack so (laughs) just kidding fred (laughs) one one episode a week he might might have had a heart attack anyway and then now you're going to just feel guilty well and he he listens to the podcast as he's riding his bike to work so right. I, I shouldn't that's right. not funny so but, he might right. <laughs> just but we're all picturing the same thing so yeah. fred i hope hope you're okay i hope you survived the shock of dave's previous statement and that uh you know you will can you know we'll get your feedback next week and know everything's all good over in the netherlands yes absolutely now the one thing i will say about impulse in terms of caveat there are a lot of f-bombs that are dropped by the main character. And I guess what I would say is I really feel like they are perfectly within her character. So there is that if you have young kids and you don't want them to hear, make sure you are watching when they're asleep or you're watching with headphones or whatever. And the other thing 
there is a major trauma that the main character suffers. And, and I understand it can be somewhat disconcerting for some viewers. I'll just say that I, I think it's handled as well as you can handle it. And I'll leave it at that. I don't want to spoil the series. So, um, all right, well, let's go to the tip of the week slash what we're watching. Uh, you want to go first this time? Sure. Um, so, Fred called me to task for not making The Mandalorian my pick of the week last week. Well, the problem with that is when we recorded, I didn't have Disney Plus yet. It hadn't been released. But uh, it, I have got it now. I got it the day it came out, and I watched The Mandalorian a little bit after. I actually watched, and uh, I put this up on, on Facebook, the first thing I actually watched on Disney Plus was Steamboat Willie. <laughs> I don't even know what that it's, is, but it, it it's doesn't like the sound first good. Mickey. It's the first. Well, no, it's nothing like that. It's the first Mickey Mouse cartoon. Okay, from back like actually November eighteenth, along nineteen twenty something. Wow, which I know because my son's birthday is November eighteenth. It's the same day that Steamboat Willie came out. Nice. So so yeah. Uh, so I thought it was appropriate to watch the very first Mickey Mouse cartoon first. It's only five minutes long, and then. After that, I, t- I had my daughter. She's 11 years old. I was like, how about The Mandalorian? She kind of looked a little dubious. I'm like, trust me. <laughs> so we watched it. She liked it. I liked it. It was all good. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really like, you know, I, I've been seeing like some feedback on it and people saying maybe like the, the story so far is maybe not spectacular, but that everything else about it is pretty awesome. Um, my daughter said it was like watching a Star Wars movie. It certainly was. Has the production values of of a you know big budget, major big screen production. The cool fight scenes, um, you know, a, an enigmatic central character. That uh, you know, obviously, when you have an enigmatic central character, it's just they're so darn enigmatic. We want to know more about them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and a and a wicked, wicked plot twist at the end of episode one i will say no more than that but if you saw that one coming you did there's no way no one saw that one coming even even the most hardened star wars fan was thrown by a loop by by that uh the plot twist that occurred there so it was really cool i'm loving uh you know and just put in the word for disney plus not that they're paying me they're not but if disney you want to throw some money my way you know but it's got all kinds of like the old movies too that uh, I really liked. And my one of my favorite Disney movies when I was a kid was an old Kurt Russell called "The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes." I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it. Never heard of it. Kurt Russell is like a teenager. He made this movie, um, and we watched it. I remember in the the gym of my elementary school when I was a kid. One of the, someone in the PTA had like a big. Uh, projector and you know, put the the you know, the reel to reel movie thing in there, and it was just really fond memory. So I, the, one of the first things I did to see if the computer wore tennis shoes was on Disney Plus, and it sure is. So I'll be watching that soon. Cool. All right. Well, I mentioned season three of The Crown last week that I was anticipating it, and as soon as it dropped, well, actually, my wife fell asleep early Sunday night, so we didn't watch it when it first dropped, but. We knocked out the first three episodes, and and it takes a little bit of getting used to the fact that Olivia Coleman has p- replaced Claire Foy as Elizabeth, and Tobias Menzies replaced Matt Smith as Philip. 
but they're both such great actors. And that was one thing I said to my wife that um, we're not exactly sure why they felt the need to replace the actors. I mean, I understand it has to do with age, but they're not moving that quickly, at least at this point. Matt Smith certainly could have played somebody in his early 40s, as could uh, Claire Foy. But again, Olivia Coleman's so great, as, as is Tobias Menzies. Uh, there's Helen Bonham Carter, who took over the role for Princess Margaret. And, you know, she's I think she was married to Tim Burton at one point. I'm not sure if she is anymore, but she's certainly been in a few of his films. She's a great actor. And there's just this one great scene when Great Britain needs a financial bailout from the U.S. And LBJ is in office at the time. And he's just, hell no, I ain't giving no money to those Brits. Um, and no matter what the Brits did, it didn't work. So the prime minister comes to Queen Elizabeth, you got to help. And she's like, uh, I don't do that. So anyway, they send Princess Margaret, who's just off the wall very often. And, and they're really worried about what she's going to do. And it's just hilarious. Uh, the dinner party and this first thing that comes out of her mouth is something denigrating about JFK, who's, of course, dead at this point, and the whole room goes quiet, and LBJ just starts laughing. And if you know your history, you know LBJ hated Kennedy. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a really a wonderful scene. Now, the other thing I'm watching, and again, I mentioned uh, last time, is on Apple Plus for All Mankind, which is an alternate history of the 1960s, 1970s space race. And I debated, should I reveal you know, what, what the, the kicker is? Because it's really, it's the worst kept secret, just like Man in the High Castle. I don't think anybody was surprised when Man in the High Castle aired and you know, we find out that, oh, Germany won the Second World War. And, right? I mean, so am I wrong? Do you know what the big reveal is in For All Mankind at the beginning? No, no. Oh, okay. Should I tell you? Or uh, sure. Yeah, go for it. I don't have. No, I won't. Okay. <laughs> if you don't know, maybe there's a lot of people that well. don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I'll leave it at that. Uh, it, but it's really well done. It's Ronald D. Moore from Battlestar Galactica, uh, Caprica, Outlander, and it's it's really good. I you know at first after I watched two episodes, I wasn't exactly sure I was going to keep well. going. I mean, is it like what the what the series is like based on? What like, do you mean? if you said like like if I was going to talk about like Man in the High Castle and said the first thing I would say is, well, Germany and Japan won World War Two, right? So that's you, like you, kinda, knew, you knew that going in as an alternate yeah. history, so, right? So, if, well, well, I'll go ahead and say it then. You know, Russia got to the moon first. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. It, 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 it yeah, so that's like, all I was going to say. I didn't know that, but but once you started saying that. But but that's like the premise of of the show, right? Yes, right. Like you would see a trailer and it would reveal that, right? If you're somebody that watches trailers, so yeah. Anyway, okay. all right. well, I, I think you're good. Yes. I don't think you're you're spoiling anything. You okay. Know? Well, too late now. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, all right. The damage is done. So, all right. Well, speaking of damage done, let's get to the Black Tower, Chapter Six of Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. This one aired June 21st, 2015. Interestingly, it was the lowest rated of the series in terms of viewership, not not critically. 
Um, and I, you know, I wonder if the viewers are, are sort of like me that, you know, I still like it. I want to find out what happens, but it's it's kind of losing steam for me. And and this was an episode. I'm, I'm again not sure how I feel about it. And it seems like I say that a lot. And you and I talk it through, and <laughs> and we both end up feeling differently by the end of the podcast. So perhaps that'll happen this time. Yeah, I thought this was a, a really good episode. Um, I'm trying to think back about the previous one. You know, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess I think a lot of it just has to do with basic viewer sensibilities nowadays, and we want answers now. And you know, and and, and I, I hate to think I'm I'm that guy who you know, like, come on already, let's get to the obviously it's going to be a big showdown between Jonathan and the Thistledown gentlemen. Let's just cut to the chase, right? Let's let's stop with all the nonsense. So, especially when you know there's only seven episodes, like you, you think, okay, let's 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 get to the action. Let's cut because now we just have one episode, and it seems like there's so much that is unresolved at this point. Um, so, uh, again, like I, I did read the book, but I, I, I say again, like I really can't remember uh, it because it was so long ago. I, I just remember little bits and pieces of it. I really can't remember the the wide plot arcs and everything, so I'm just as you know excited as anyone else to try and find out what's going to happen here. So, okay. all right, well, just a couple of odds and ends before we get into the discussion. Two and a half months have passed since Arabella's death slash disappearance, um, and, and that quote that we hear about whether or not the Raven King is a man or an idea. And I think that's one of those things that I'm not sure how they're going to wrap that up or address that in the final episode, given everything else they've got to address. But I really do find that fascinating. And, you know, the whole idea in this episode of Jonathan trying to go mad because he feels that's the only way he's going to be able to uh, make contact and be able to see the fairy, you know, AKA the gentleman. And he eventually does see him. And, and, and of course we're left with the question, well, is that because the fairy wants him to see him or has he really driven himself mad? And is that, you know, one, one of those things. And, and, and that's the cool thing about, uh, Grace Steele, I can't remember her name. I've got it in my notes somewhere. Uh, Flora. Flora. Uh, you know, that whole idea that, well, you know, madness and artistic talent sort of go hand in hand, or so it would seem. So, yeah. I, I, but I, we found out that she tried to run off with Lord Byron, too. So we, yeah. can, see, we can see how she runs, you know? Like. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing that struck me in this episode, dude, Draw Light is Lord Varys. Is he not? Oh yeah, definitely. And once, except not not quite as cool, and certainly not as in control. But he is a a, a comedic version, I would say, of, of Varys. Yeah, you just got to give him time. You know, Varys yeah. had eight episodes. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> Drawlight just needs more time. And, and and then that one statement that Jonathan makes towards the end of the episode that England is full of magicians, and I don't think he says the words, but 
everyone is a magician. And I'm thinking, is this like the overarching metaphor for the whole series that everybody has magic in them? Or am I off the deep end? Which well, no, well that's that's the the central conflict, right? Okay. As now we see, it's not just that Jonathan is a supporter of the Ravens King magic, but that he wants magic to be accessible to everyone. He's he wants to democratize magic, whereas Norrell wants to limit it and keep it to only well himself basically well you know but but we get to that scene towards the end and here we are already jumping around and we've That's said all right. and we've said this before that norrell's not wrong about much of what he says uh lord uh again i forget what sir walter and lord sir walter liverpool i think maybe uh come to him and it's like you know you have to stop him and he's like dude, don't tell me what I have to do. I tried to warn you, and you didn't listen to me. And he's not wrong, because he was just really preaching restraint, as opposed to Jonathan, who who we've said many times was just an experimenter who didn't seem to grasp the big picture and the danger of what he was doing many times. Well, yeah, I, I think he he was wrong, and Jonathan was wrong. Like, what they need is a middle ground here, a compromise. And if you remember back to, you know, episode one, they they talked about how it would be the two magicians who would ter- return magic to England. So we can, you know, I, I assume there's going to be some kind of a, of a team-up occurring in, in this last episode. But, you know, what, what they need to do is to thesis, antithesis, synthesis right they need to come up with that that common ground that is the correct course of action whereas they're both polarized right uh, you know Norrell just says no magic for anyone just i'm the only one who can be trusted or the people i select in this case jonathan jonathan on the other hand who's like let's just open this up let's open up pandora's box and see what happens right well neither of those is the correct path but but they, they, they can't – they're so polarized that they won't uh, work with each other. Yeah, and, and Childermass, as we've said, is sort of that voice of reason in the middle. Yes, and absolutely. I, I just can't wait to see what he does in this final episode. But why don't we go ahead and start with Jonathan in Venice. And it, it's really difficult to watch him in many of these scenes because he looks so bad and it's beyond that disheveled look that he has. He's experimenting with these chemicals, potions. uh, And then we see him when he's begging that one apothecary for uh, drugs that will cause him to go mad. And he's trying to tell the guy and they obviously have a language barrier. uh, That's what I want it for. But that's when the gray steals walk by and, and Flora translates for him. They go to tea. And I think it's Draw Light that, that tells Norrell at the end that Strange has fallen in love with her, which I don't think is true. She's certainly infatuated with him, but yeah. uh, I'm not sure that he really even sees her in, in that I, way at this point. I, I, it seemed like, you know, because for a minute there, I, 
I saw it because and because of look we're like Jonathan don't go there because we know his wife is still alive and everything uh, he doesn't know that so you know I, I think for a moment there was this kind of realization at least that he he knew what was going on he knew that this this girl is into him but soon thereafter he finds Arabella and so of course there's you know absolutely no romantic hope for for those two. Though, um, you know, I, I still feel like Flores has a part to play in, in helping him out some more. Right. And, and I love their first meeting when they sit down to tea. And, uh, of course, the name Jonathan Strange resonates with them. And he starts telling her, yeah, I'm trying to do this because I want to see a fairy. And she's like, oh, cool. <laughs> Not yeah. like that's anything out of the ordinary. She's really interested uh, of course, once she mentions that the woman they've come to visit in Venice is mad that, you know, gets the wheels turning in, in Jonathan's head that somehow that might help him. And in fact, he goes to the old woman, I want you to teach me how to be mad. And on the one hand, it's a totally ridiculous statement. But but of course, it speaks to his desperation at this point to yeah. to bring well, Bell back. I mean, desperate. <laughs> Like he he takes he takes a dead mouse and he <laughs> he puts it in his mouth. <sighs> you know, it's bad enough I have to see the crazy cat lady doing that, but when Jonathan goes and does it, it's like, no, bro, yeah, <laughs> just and, no. And, and then he puts it in a little vial, doesn't he, with liquid uh, in it? And yeah, then later yeah. on, he drinks the liquid. And again, you've mentioned, I think, on a couple occasions, the special effects in this series, which are few and far between and they've got the kind today and it just reminded me of something you would see on an old disney cartoon with the character just kind of like shaking back and forth and yeah. I, I i guess i like the fact that they really didn't even try to make it ultra realistic looking i'm not sure what they could have done differently but i like i liked how they handled that but yeah uh, i thought you were gonna say maybe you would see that in like evil dead or something like that um I don't remember. Did they do that in Evil Dead? It's been a while since. Yeah, they did a lot of stuff like that. Okay. Do we have to do an Evil Dead 2 rewatch, Dave? Uh, I think maybe we do. Yeah, we might. Maybe or maybe I'll we just do. Uh, republish it, maybe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, so you know, he, Strange is continuing his experiments, and, and, and he looks progressively worse every time we see him. Yeah. And his hair gets grayer, too, and he, everything. Yes, and his eyes are, are sunken and darkened. Yeah. And... I don't know if they did this with makeup or prosthetics or maybe I'm imagining things, but it almost looks like his face looks fatter, which ordinarily it might seem like somebody in his position is not eating. But I, I don't know. There was just something about his face that looked different that, that just added to all of that. But lo and behold, the gentleman appears. Strange can see him, talk to him recognizes him as a magician of great power but not a fairy do is a fairy a magician um no but i, I just i think that they can like you got to be a human i imagine to be a magician okay um but you know I mean, obviously fairies probably just have like this natural relationship with magic okay. you know because the reason i ask is because of the prophecy that two magicians will return magic right. to England, and I wonder if but there's going to be this no, big trick no, at the no, end. No, no, I, don't, I definitely 
would say no on that one. Okay. Now, the other thing that's come up a couple times through the first uh, six episodes is the gentleman showing up and whether or not Jonathan has actually summoned him, which has been a matter of conjecture at various points. And, and certainly he, he shows up here. And we go through that whole bargaining session. And Jonathan's got it down. It's almost like lawyer-like talk that if we make this bargain, then you have to give me everything and you can't trick me. And, of course, we're thinking like, dude, you know he's going to trick you. You know the wording of the bargain is going to be a trick. And obviously he wants his wife brought back to life. And we're all thinking, well, she's not dead. Right. Well, and what the gentleman tells him, he's like, I cannot bring your wife back to life. Right. Well, that's true. Yeah. Because she's not dead. Yeah. Right. right. And gentleman wants a token in return and not sure exactly what that's going to be. But uh, regardless, um, he's a little, the gentleman that is, taken aback that Jonathan isn't interested in riches and uh beautiful women he just wants his his dead wife back well how long she been dead two and a half months no can't do it yeah but nah bro (laughs) yeah just (laughs) right and then though and i guess this speaks to the fairy human covenant of bargains or whatever but jonathan says bring me what you gained from your last dealings with an english magician and next thing you know, we've got the box on the floor that contains Lady Pole's finger. Right. So is that what happens? They made the bargain. The fairy follows through with his end and gives Jonathan what it is he, he got the last yep. time? Or does is this a mistake on the gentleman's part? Um, well, he he has to fulfill his part of the bargain. Okay. Right, so he's it's, he cannot welch on their deal, um, so he has to give him what was the result of the last deal, which is the finger. Obviously, he he had to do it, so there's nothing to it. But but that is going to directly lead to Jonathan, you know, bringing the ruckus to the gentleman, you know, and finding the place where Arabella is. Yeah, and, and where she is. <laughs> He, he goes through the mirror, ends up in the King's Roads, and then he uses the finger as some sort of a device that's looking for a signal, finds himself in the ballroom. And, and dude, I, I think that's my favorite setting in the entire series. You know, generally, I find the photograph that I use for the blog post online, and, and you know, they're leftover promo fo- uh, photos from when the, the show aired, and... You know, 2015, there aren't a whole lot of them available, but I took a bunch of screen caps as I was watching it of the ballroom because I just I just love that look. I love Belle, and there's just something about the way she looks here because it's Belle, but it's not Belle. Lady right. Pole looks so much better than we're used to seeing her and and uh, i've mentioned before lady uh lady pole's one of my favorite characters so i'm not sure what photo i'll use with the blog post and the facebook post this week but uh, that'd be a good one though dave yeah i did nab a couple 
So so we'll see. But he bumps into Lady Pole, and it's almost as if he doesn't recognize her because doesn't she tell him who she is? And then she follows that up with, you've come here to save us. And, and of course, for the viewer, that pronoun us as opposed to me has a lot of meaning. And, of course, as you said, he sees Belle dancing and then... Uh, yeah, well, yeah, like I'm trying to think... Did he ever really meet her? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't think so. But I don't think so either. But Sir Walter was a fairly prominent figure, I, I would have thought. I mean, certainly it seems that way. And the wife of a prominent political figure, you'd think. But but again, this is the, what, 17, what did we figure it is, 1812? The, the early 19th century. Yeah, so... Uh, kind of before the internet <laughs> and before photos Definitely. so yes. um before instagram right so jonathan is putting things together demands that the gentleman disenchant her i demand you give me back my wife so at this point he recognizes that his wife isn't dead but we know he hasn't made the connection between the uh golem and his actual wife he doesn't understand there are two bells right i mean or or does he i i, I don't well i mean first of all he's in a fit of madness still so well that's true. i don't know if he has the ability to to figure that out but one be it as it may either way he understands that his wife is alive one way or not whether it's because she was replaced by a piece of wood or uh, because she somehow is, you know, the, the gentleman has somehow, you know, resurrected her or whatever. Either way, you know, she's alive. So I don't think, I don't think he's able really at this point to really think too deeply about it either. Right. But uh, we have the Shrike released, and I guess that's what forms the the black tower like in my notes i initially was just calling it like a black cyclone but i guess that's the uh-huh. the black tower in the episode's title uh, they say he has cursed the city and, and i'm wondering how does the city know he's a magician because there are posters all over the place about fugitive jonathan strange and again, we know this from the Wild West with the wanted posters, and they'd have these crude drawings that may or may not have looked like the actual character. And here, in an earlier time, they don't even have any kind of a drawing or anything. So, uh, who's, of course, he's making no secret over the fact that his name is Jonathan Strange. So, true. Um, he's not really yeah, doing I, much. I, to- I mean, I, I just assume that he's kind of fairly well-known character and that's why i think it's you know like his his attempt to hide and to escape is you know obviously doomed to fail because i mean here's one of the guys who basically helped and napoleon right right now he realizes that my wife is alive yet not alive and then he says to lady pole i betrayed her and I guess he's going back to that oath that he uh, took with uh, Bell 2.0. I, I mean, I guess that's what he's talking about, betraying his wife. I'm not sure what else it would be. But then 
my favorite exchange, not only of this episode, maybe the entire series. Draw Light appears in the road, and he's babbling about what he's, <laughs> he's learned, and Flora's father shows up with a gun to get his daughter. Do you wish to be shot? Then behave differently. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, all right, how could Wayne use that in the classroom? Yeah. Um, he can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might have At to modify all. it a bit. I can't even think it. I, for, I get arrested for even thinking no, that. I so, know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that that was that was a, a great line though. You're right. That that's uh, I just like that. Then behave differently. Yeah. <laughs> I could use it with my kids though. <laughs> yeah, uh, but of course, then the big reveal about Jonathan planning to return magic to England. The world will be changed, and he claims that Norrell suppressed the magicians in England, which we understand is true. But then his line: "Tell Norrell I am coming." <laughs> I'm like, ah. Right. I love well, it. Well, and, and he's super pissed because he knows now what Norrell did. He knows that Norrell, you know, bargained with the fairy in order to bring Lady Pole back from the dead. And he's, you know, all the all that moralizing, all that talk about how evil fairies are and they can't be trusted. And now he finds out that Norrell's big, you know, his big W was just through fairy magic well yeah but don't you think that humanizes norrell a little bit because he understands his mistake in that transaction i think uh it does but for jonathan it it doesn't for jonathan he's just pissed right right and and as he says i'm coming to get you yeah like that's just what rambo said in first blood part two yeah and i think Jimi hendrix and hey joe right yeah so, all right. Well, let's talk. No, in uh, uh, Purple Haze. Oh, right, right, right. All right. So, Norrell reacting to the success of Jonathan's book. You said Jonathan knows what he did. Well, he, he doesn't know half of it. And we've talked a few times about what level of power does Norrell actually possess. And I think any doubts we have were certainly alleviated a little bit here because um, Jonathan's book's out and one of the things Fred brings up in his feedback is the tear we see on Norrell's cheek and, and what that actually means and I really think he feels a sense of betrayal from Jonathan I don't think it's like you know you're better than I am, or you know I have to leave town, or I don't think it's any of that. I I really think he feels betrayed by this book. Now his reaction to it, which is to perform a spell that causes every book to disappear, which visually was pretty cool. When the publisher yeah immediately knows Norrell, and he goes to his house and and you know tells Newman. him. You know, you're going to pay for the marketing and new books and, and all of that. But, yeah, I was a little surprised about that tear. Yeah, so, you know, Fred does bring it up. And there, it, it is, there are a number of ways we could analyze that and, and everything. I personally felt it was like a tear of, like, loss, like reading this, thinking, you know, what could have been had they been able to come to some kind of compromise? Yeah, you know? because we just see Jonathan proposing an alliance with the fairy, 
And, you know, as you say, I, I, I think it is you know, that loss of what could have been the alliance, the two of them, because they balance each other so perfectly and, and shoulder mass as that third party that can kind of keep them both on track w- would have been perfect. But yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Cool. So, and, and, and then even when Sir Walter confronts him about it, he says, well, what could I do? And I'm thinking like, what do you mean? What could you do? <laughs> well, I had to, yeah. you know, make all yeah. the books disappear. Otherwise, everyone would know the secrets of magic. And, yeah, that's obviously something the two of them, if we get to see that, and I suspect we will in episode seven, two of them are going to have to come to some sort of a, an agreement about it. And, you know, while Norrell does indicate that Jonathan may be too powerful, and in fact, he even says, I don't think I can stop him or I don't know that I can. And I like the fact that he is able to acknowledge that Jonathan is more powerful than he is. And right. Well, and also, I mean, like we talked, you know, last week about that. He's, you know, not the bravest soul. Um, and you know, he doesn't want to try and, and fight. That's not how he does things. He's, he does like the books is perfect. Norrell, like this passive aggressive type move, this underhanded sneaky move, non-confrontational, He's all about that type of stuff, you know. And, and, you know, Norrell's in the process of moving, I guess, out to the country where all his books are. And Childermass notices something about the mirrors. I think he says that he hears some sort of a hum or something that seems to be coming from all. And then LaSalle, uh, some comment about the servants. And, and finally, Norrell's like, why are you even here? And it catches LaSalle off guard. He doesn't give an answer. And, you know, we've speculated it. Right. He just wants the notoriety that he's associated sure. with England's most prominent magician or certainly one of the two. But I, I love the fact that it finally hits Norrell. And, and again, yeah. maybe it's just that he's so focused on everything else. He doesn't even really realize what LaSalle's really doing there. But... Well, but, but when, no more. you know, Childermass has something important to reveal and LaSalle's can just bang it on about, well, really, is this what we do with servants now? And like, and, and finally, Norrell just has it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, what's, what, what's your point? <laughs> what are you here for? Um, so, you know, finally a slight victory for Childermass. Yeah. And, and not very long after that is when the mirror starts cracking gradually and again pretty cool special effects uh yeah and the swarm and i want to keep saying shrike but i'm not sure everybody gets the agents of shield reference but uh, <laughs> the black birds fly into norrell's room and 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 of course uh, as he predicts it means catastrophe i don't even want to say arguably one of the more interesting arcs in this episode because i think they were all pretty interesting is with vinculus and Stephen, yeah. and you know the street magician Vinculus that we, we've talked about for a while now, tries to convince Stephen to set him free because he's you know locked away at the uh, 
I want to keep saying it's a school of Segundus, but the, uh, the the mental facility or whatever the, they're calling it. But uh, yeah. he keeps the rest home. Yeah, the rest home. He keeps referring to Stephen as a king, promises freedom from the fairy, and obviously that gets Stephen's attention because Stephen and again we've talked a little bit about it, and I don't know if it's going to get addressed in episode seven, but. What's that connection? What bargain did did Stephen make with the fairy, if at all? Or is the fairy simply using him? I mean, again, unless I miss something. So the idea, yeah, I, you know, I, I totally feel like I missed something, you know, because I I still have really been like at first it seemed like he was just along to protect Lady Pole. And I, I, you know, I still kind of feel like that. You know, he he's it doesn't seem to one hundred percent be the uh, the gentleman's kind of servant or whatever. Yeah. So but on the uh, other hand, just some of the stuff he does, like taking Arabella and everything, it's just it's well, hard to you know reckon that. Well, right. But clearly, the idea, the thought of being freed from the gentleman is enough for him to free vinculus and and then we see the two of them on their road trip and of course the first thing vinculus says which uh, i certainly can relate to did you bring the pie (laughs) and he pulls out the sack and uh, now i was thinking more along the lines of coconut custard or chocolate cream uh, although i gotta admit whatever it was that he was eating did look (laughs) fairly tasty but he tells the you know the gentleman is of course pissed that Strange was able to summon him in the first place and had the nerve to propose an alliance. Tells Stephen he's planning to bring Strange to his knees, but you know the the, the big reveal that we see with Vinculus and the Raven King's book. What would you think about that? His father yeah. gets drunk, eats the book. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's a crazy story and. But you know, I, I I liked also then it that bond that kind of existed there because you know both him and Stephen are like you know because of our skin, right? You know we are limited in what we can do, and and Stephen has that 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 really that killer heart wrenching line, you know my skin basically means that any man can come and strike me and not have any retribution for that. Right, and I love, though, that Vinculus keeps drilling into him that that may change, Right, that, that you will become a king. And again, whether that's a metaphor for something else, we don't know, but I, I love the fact that, that he does lay out there that hope that things will get better. Yeah, and, you know, and he, like for the most part, Vinculus, during this, um, you know, this series has been just kind of like this crazy guy saying crazy stuff that every now and then is like lucid and and prescient and then all of a sudden he like reaches you know we like actually get to the humanity of him we start to really see him as a character and then boom yeah he's dead yeah and maybe and and he takes Stephen to his tree it's almost like he takes him there because he knows that's where he's supposed to die. Although when uh, the gentleman appears 
and you know using magic makes the noose out of the vines and and he tells him i think you're going to find i'm fairly hard to kill yeah. and you know that final he wasn't well i mean we see him <laughs> hanging and he appears dead right so again are we going to see him in episode 7 that he was only mostly dead I I hope not. That's what I wrote in my notes too. Darn you, David. (laughs) But we see Stephen in tears. And again, how do we interpret those tears? I think it's unfair to say that Vinculus was his friend, but I think he realizes that Vinculus was telling him things for his own benefit, not necessarily putting false hope in him, but... I think there was a certain level of kindness, of of true meaning, and it really touched Stephen there at the end. Well, yeah, well, because here was a guy and a white guy to boot who actually is trying to help me. Yeah, and is not bossing me around and not hitting me. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else before we get to Fred's feedback? Actually, well, except for I did want to say this because we mentioned earlier that Flora had run off with Lord Byron, and at the time I thought it would come up again, so I didn't say. But this woman who Byron had had a dalliance with had called him mad, bad, and dangerous to know, oh. and I always kind of loved that. And I know Byron was not like the greatest person ever. But I've always kind of held a little bit of admiration for him and uh, and tried to model my life on no. <laughs> um, but he just seems like he was probably maybe the coolest person that ever lived. Um, and and Flora got a little too close to that flame, apparently, and Dad had to go and pull her back from it. Which only adds to why we love him. i know i know like it was perfect when he said byron i'm like ah, i knew it, it had to be who else would a, a a girl of the early 18th century try to run off with right yes. yep with uh, other poet absolutely so <laughs> all right well let's hear what fred's got this week and we'll be right back to talk about it hello dave and wayne this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for jonathan strange and mr Norrell, Season 1, Episode 6. Just shortly want to come back to last week's podcast. You were joking about the wooden stick. And, well, it's not so much. I, of course, know these jokes about wood, etc. I remember, for instance, once you and Mike were talking about Howard Stark's Woody, which is a car in Agent Carter. And it also took me a little while to, to really get the joke. But uh, it, it's not, for foreigners, perhaps not so much in the in their reverence. But still, even if it's this kind of joke, I wouldn't expect that in this series playing in 1810. So, after all, I think it was just about the trade between the Moss Oak, Arabella 2.0, as you call her, her or Wayne called her Farabella, like fake Arabella. She actually came from a piece of wood, this moss oak, which opened and she was in there. But still then, it's not a trade. Trade is when you both agree to exchange goods. And this was not a trade in the sense of Jonathan being aware what he exchanged here. 
But as you explained, he accepted the Arabella 2.0 when she asked, am I your wife? Am I the only one? Etc. So he did accept the trade, although he didn't know it was a trade. Okay, second topic is my tip of the week. I was a bit amazed, Wayne, that you, you didn't talk about it. And that's The Mandalorian. Of course, you don't want to get Disney Plus, Dave. But I saw two episodes now. I think it's very, very nice. I mean, a lot of Easter eggs and references, and it really connects to the Star Wars cinematic world, and it's filmed with a lot of nice cinematography and CGI. I'm really amazed about quality. The story is so far not that impressive, but because of the rest of the quality, that doesn't matter that much. First question, what do you think it is about that tear that is purling down over Norrell's cheek when he read Jonathan's book? Is that sadness because Jonathan is better than him? Is that because he is touched by the excellence of the book? Or is that a sign for what he is going to do, namely destroy the book? And he is ambivalent about it. I really love how the publisher, Mr. Murray, reacts to the vanishing books. He immediately knows who is behind that. Funny thing is that the table, the round table on which the books vanish, is quite the same, it's a little larger, than two of the small round tables I have in my home. I will put the comparison picture in your notes. And the funny thing is that not so long ago, we had this bell, this Buddhistic bell that Norel had I also have one in my home. Then we see Jonathan in Venice. A very nice picture of Venice. But at this moment, Venice is not that nice. 70% of the city is flooded and the famous San Marco Square is closed for the public and closed for the tourists. They really have a big, big problem there at the moment. Finally, Jonathan is able to summon the fairy and really see him and even interact with him. But this sleazy guy is so smart. Jonathan is asking to bring Arabella back to life, and the fairy says, that's not possible. Well, of course it's not possible, because Arabella is still alive. Another thing I wondered is that Jonathan needs two drops of this mouse elixir of madness. Why could Norel see the fairy? Is he mad on his own? Why didn't he need that? I think this episode was full of unexpected twists and turns. The first one for me was actually when the fairy had banned Jonathan to the Black Tower. So this black whirlwind. I have to say, Jonathan finally understands how everything is connected. He, for instance, understood that Arabella is not dead, but enchanted. But he is captured. I don't know if he can trust Drawlight. Well, you never can trust Drawlight. But did he scare him enough that Drawlight indeed will do what he have to do? What I was amazed about is that after the fairy put Jonathan in this black tower, I had expected this costed him so much energy that he died. But then suddenly later, when the street magician and Stephen were outside there with the old tree, he suddenly appeared again. 
The other thing I was amazed about is that the street magician said to the fairy, I'm not easy to kill, and then a little later he is dead. Or will he come back in the next episode? Although some episodes are quite slow and not much happens in the sense of special effects, well, this episode compensates that a lot in both senses. It brought the story quite further and there was a lot of special effects in it. Although I'm not too enthusiastic about this series, this was a very good episode, I think. Expectations? Well, I think Norel will eventually have some role in saving Jonathan. And then there will be two magicians in England. Another expectation is the Raven King has to come back. And will this be Stephen being promised to be a king? Or will it even be Jonathan? Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. And of course, I'm curious what you're going to do after the next podcast. There was some discussion on the Facebook page between you, Dave, and David Hayworth about his dark materials. Another one that can be added to the list. Uh, dude, I guess we should have spent more time when Fred was here explaining all the different varieties <laughs> of wood jokes. <laughs> I, when I was listening to that, every time he said it, I was just giggling a little inside. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you know, man, you mentioned uh, about the Mandalorian, and, uh, and and we certainly talked about the uh, the the tear that yep. that we see. But but he brings up uh, Jonathan's need for a drop of two of his madness potion to finally see the fairy, and, and he asks why didn't Norrell need that. And I guess I and I think we said it tonight. We just don't know. Is it because the fairy makes himself visible or is there this madness component? I I guess I tend to think it's the fairy makes himself visible. Yeah. Well, because first of all, when Norrell called him, the fairy knew he had a great mark here. He he had, you know, knew that he had a, a sucker lined up. Yeah. Uh, let us not forget also that Arabella was able to see him as well. And we would not in any way, I think, call her mad in any way, shape or form. So I think, yeah, it's just, as you said, that he is, um, he can allow people to see him. And if he doesn't want to be seen, he won't be, but that's why Jonathan, you know, throws him off. Right. Right. Like he can't, like Jonathan's the one guy who could, kind of heard him but for that first time now can see him found his dance hall and brought the fight to him and so certainly he's very disconcerted and then you know it takes every ounce of his energy to take care of jonathan with you know without put him in the black tower yeah now one thing he brings up and and we mentioned draw light in passing a couple of times but i forgot about the end when when Jonathan entrusts him to send a message and whether or not Jonathan can trust draw light to carry out his order. Uh, that's a good one. So I guess it comes down to does Jonathan frighten him enough that he'll do what he's ordered to do. I don't think so. 
I, I just really? think draw light is one of those guys that it's almost like no matter how much magic he sees, he always thinks he's one step ahead. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like he, that Jonathan legit scared him. Yeah. That he's going to do it. I guess. I I, I don't think I, so. I, I, I can see. I think either way it works out, it would make sense. If it works, shakes out like you say, I mean, that, that totally would be in in character with him as well. Now, he, he has a couple of expectations, you know, predictions, I guess. Uh, Norrell's going to eventually play a role in saving Jonathan, uh, and there'll be the two magicians in England. And, and that's why I asked you a few minutes ago about whether or not a fairy could be a magician, because that whole prophecy, there are going to be two magicians in England, it just seemed too pat that it's going to end right. up being those two. It's just your traditional happy ending. And I just wonder if it's going to be something else that whether Jonathan goes back to what he said earlier, that I'm not going to be a practical magician. I'm done with that. And maybe it'll be somebody like children mass. Yeah, like, like, right, like a children mass, or maybe children mass and Segundus. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and that uh, the two we think it's going to be disappear off yeah. into the. I uh, I, I yeah. think that's a great point, Dave. I really mm-hmm. do. I think that's that's excellent. That, um, and I hope it turns out like that. I hope it is unexpected and not just Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. But I think it what for them to defeat the fairy, it's going to require them to come together and come to some kind of common ground and, and reject this, these polarizing attitudes that they have. Right. Now, but it might very well be two other guys that do the actual saving or whatever, which would be awesome. Right. Now he does ask what we're going to do for the next podcast. And we address that in the news section of the podcast at the beginning, but he asks who will be the Raven King, Brandon Stark. Right. I mean, yeah. It's his brand for sure. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it goes back to what I said earlier. And I think I, I, God, I can't remember. I got it in my notes somewhere who says it, but is the Raven King a person or an idea? And I, I just love the idea that it's an idea rather than an actual physical person that we all have the Raven King inside us, you know, that everybody's a magician everybody's got magic inside them. So I wonder if it's going to be something along those lines rather than an actual individual. That could be. So, all right. It could be. I, or, or, you know, it could be like this idea that can become incarnate in a person, you know? Yeah. So like maybe like Stephen Black is not quote unquote the Raven King, but he can become by taking on the Raven's King's memory, spirit, whatever. Maybe he has to eat a mouse or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. Know. I was thinking he had to eat something. So, okay. Uh, anything else about Fred's feedback you want to mention? Uh, nope. Okay, cool. Fred, thank you. Um, and, you know, in, in Fred's uh, notes with us, he, he, I guess, was lobbying for his dark materials. And I'm watching that, and, and actually my wife is into it. We've seen the first two episodes. I think that's all that's aired at this point. Cause, uh, episode three came out last night. Oh, it did? Okay, so we haven't seen yeah. that yet. But uh, I like it. But again, and it's not so much that there's magic. I'm telling in you, dude, it. It, it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't even hit its stride yet. Yeah, but uh, just wait, just okay. wait, dude, just stay with it because I guarantee you, 
at least the book, the, that first book was so good. Like really, I'm actually thinking of rereading it as I'm watching it, just remembering how good the, the that, that first book was. Um, but yeah, it once it kicks in, it's going to be like, whoa. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you guys for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell. Hope you'll be on board with us when we start Impulse in two weeks. Uh, we'd encourage you to join the Facebook group, get into the discussions there. If you're already a member, spread the word. You can bring people on board yourself. It doesn't have to be either of us. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website, or just record your own audio clip the way Fred does each week and send it as an attachment. We'll be back next week to discuss the series finale of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. But until then... So number one out of the top ten awkward things to say at a daycare. Sir, may I borrow your daughter for a couple of hours? (laughs) 